0: In our series on the book of Hebrews, we've come now to chapter 7. Chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10 are the deep waters of the book of Hebrews. Up to this point, we've been warned to stay faithful and encouraged not to fall away. We've been admonished for not being mature Christians, but rather than being teachers, having the need to be taught. And now, the writer, who I believe is the Apostle Paul, gets into the meat of the message showing us all the ways that the new covenant is a better covenant and that Christ is better than anything they had under the law. And he begins with an obscure Old Testament figure who turns out to be a very important figure. I'm talking, of course, about Melchizedek. In chapter 7, we read about Melchizedek, who was both king and priest, and we find that his priesthood was greater than that of the Levites. The Levitical priesthood was inferior to the Melchizedekian priesthood. And of course, Psalm 110 tells us that Christ is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek and not after the order of Levi. As we've already said many times, the overall theme of the book of Hebrews is better. Christ is a better sacrifice. The new covenant is a better covenant. Everything under grace is better than anything they had under the law. In chapter 7, we read about the better priesthood of Christ. In chapter 8, we'll read about the better covenant upon which it's based. In chapter 9, we'll read about a better sanctuary that it represents. In chapter 10, we'll read about the better sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Join us as we continue looking into this book of Hebrews. These may be deep waters, but I believe we'll learn some precious things about Christ if we'll stick with it. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Mentioned earlier that I need your prayers because uh, we're about to wade off into the deep waters of Hebrews now you might say that all of its deep waters but beginning here in chapter 7 uh, we begin dealing with some things that are pretty deep it can be confusing but I want to kind of try to simplify it as best I can as we approach these the heart of Hebrews okay um, I said beginning in this study some months ago that the, the overall theme of Hebrews is better, better. What we have under the economy of grace in the New Testament is better than what they had under the law service of the Old Testament. Now, that doesn't mean that salvation is comp- has been accomplished in a different way. Eternal salvation has always been completely by the sacrifice of Christ, okay? Uh, He didn't try it one way in the Old Testament and it didn't work out, so he started something new when Christ came. It was always about Christ. They just missed that. The, the, The Pharisees and the Jews in the day that Christ came, they missed that. But what the writer of Hebrews is doing is writing to many of those Jewish Christians, those who had been Jews, who had converted to Christianity, and who were being tempted in many ways to go back to the old way because of the persecutions and various things that happened. And we saw several warnings leading up to this point. But beginning here, and, and also if you, remember one of the, if you remember one of the warnings was that, hey, I want to tell you some things that are pretty deep, but I can't because you're too... Immature as Christians, you remember, he said, you know, in the time you ought to be teachers, you're having to relearn all these fundamentals. So that's a good warning to us. We not we don't need to be uh, shallow Christians. We don't need to be babes in Christ for our entire lives. But he he talked about that, and then he reminded them and all of us in chapter six of of the great hope that we have that is an anchor of the soul. And then beginning in chapter seven. And it's actually chapter 7, 8, and 9 in particular. He gets to the heart of the message. And I just want to sum it up, try to simplify it. And it's, understand it may be a little oversimplified, but I think generally you'll get the, get the gist of this if you'll remember this that chapter 7 is about a better high priest or high priesthood, chapter 8 is about a better covenant, uh, chapter 9 is about a better sanctuary. And chapter 10 is about a better sacrifice. And we're going to see that as we kind of go through this. But this evening, I want us to talk about chapter 7 and this elusive character named Melchizedek. And the theme of chapter 7 is a better priesthood. That is, Christ's priesthood is better than the priesthood under the law. There's really three points from this chapter that we need to take away. The first one's found here in verse 7. A better priesthood. If you look over in verse 19, we read about a better hope. And then if you look on down in verse 22, you read about a better testament. And that's really the main three points from this chapter. There's a better priesthood, the Melchizedekian priesthood, which points us to a better hope, which is the result of a better testament, a better covenant. See, we're going to look at that. It's a real simple, although it takes a little while to get there. Now, Melchizedek is an extremely important figure in the typology of Christ. He has some really obscure origins. You might call him the mystery man of the Bible. And in fact, we don't know very much about Melchizedek and wouldn't have had very much consideration of him if all we knew about him was what we read in Genesis chapter 14. You can go back sometimes and read it. Well, let's just do that. Turn back with me to Genesis chapter 14 and we'll read about the first account of Melchizedek. Now you may recall for those of you that are Bible readers you'll know that Genesis chapter 14 tells the story of when the battle of the kings occurred over there and they took Lot captive uh, from Sodom and Abraham had to saddle up all of his uh, servants and go rescue Lot and he won that battle over there and he came back through and on his way back after he came from that victory of delivering Lot and, and those folks from Sodom, we're told that in verse 17, the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of cader Laamer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shave, which is the Kingsdale. And now verse 18, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he he gave him tithes of all. That is, Abraham gave Melchizedek tithes of all he had. That is a tenth of all that he had. Now, that's the first time we read about Melchizedek. We're going to see that the next time we hear the name Melchizedek is in Psalm chapter 110 and verse 4. And, and we'll come to that in a few minutes. And then the next time, the last time we read about him is here in Hebrews chapter 7. Now, before we go any further, let me just say this. There's been a lot of speculation and I've heard a lot of preaching about who Melchizedek actually was. Because Melchizedek is actually a title. It's not a, a proper name. It's a title of this king of Salem. Well, here's the answer. I don't know who he was. <laughs> but here's the bottom line. We don't need to know exactly who he was, or else God would have told us. God would have told us who he was. If if we needed to know, God would have let us know. We don't need to know exactly who he is. But notice in verse 3 of chapter 7, and this is sort of out of order, but I want to jump in there because you could get really confused. I've heard people say that Melchizedek was actually Christ in the Old Testament. I've heard him say that he was Shem, the son of Noah, and who lived to be a, a great age. He was uh, alive when Abram was alive. But notice what it says in Verse three, down towards the end of verse three of chapter seven of Hebrews, it says in describing him, he said he was made like unto the son of God. And that's a curious statement, isn't it? He was made like unto the son of God. And so some people that I know, some preachers I know have said, oh, see, there he was. A, that was a manifestation of Christ. But but understand he was not the son of God. He was made like unto the Son of God. And and don't get this reversed either, and that's really important. The Son of God was not made like unto him. He was a type of the Son of God. He was made like unto the Son of God. And it did not say he was the Son of God. And so understand that this chapter that we're in is not about Melchizedek. It is about Jesus Christ and don't make it about anybody else. In fact, the whole scripture is about Jesus Christ. Jesus said in one place, John 5, 39, I believe it is, search the scriptures for them you think you have eternal life, but they are they that testify of me. And and the point is this. How was Melchizedek made like unto the Son of God? Well, he was made this way by type and shadow. That is, by the amount of information that God has given us in the Scripture, not literally like the Son of God. He, he literally, you know, he says he was without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. He was not some immortal man. But what he's saying here is, it's based upon the amount of information that God gave us in the scriptures. He was made like unto the Son of God. We can see him as a type of Christ, not literally or otherwise he would be Christ. My point is this, we can get all hung up on this and get all confused about it. But the bottom line is, is that Melchizedek is simply pointing us to the high priesthood of Christ and telling us that Christ's high priesthood is greater and better than the Levitical priesthood. And that's really the simple answer to what it's about. But let's jump in here now and see some more details about this. So begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 7. If you remember in chapter 6, the end of chapter 6, verse 20, he says, Whither the forerunner for us is entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And he jumps on in now in chapter 7 and verse 1 and says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually." Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily they that are of the sons of Levi, who received the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out from the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better." And now I want to stop there. And this is the first point from this chapter. He's pointing us to a better priesthood. A better priesthood. Notice he said the less is blessed of the better. And he's speaking of Abraham being blessed by one who was greater than Abraham. Who in this case was Melchizedek. Notice the difference between Melchizedek's priesthood and the Levitical priesthood. First of all. He was a priest with all power. Notice in verses 1 and 2, he was the king of Salem, and yet he was the priest of the Most High God. He was not only priest, but he was also king. And that was a big no-no under the Levitical law. Under the law of Moses, you couldn't have a king who was also priest or a priest who was also king. As a matter of fact, if you go back over to, uh, I think it's 2 Chronicles chapter 26, and you'll read about a, a king named Uzziah, who tried to go into the temple and burn the incense, which it did not appertain unto him to do, the priest said. You see, the priests had their duties. They had a true division of labor. They had a division of power, a balance of power, if you will. The king did his job, the priests did theirs, and they did not cross. Okay, But yet Melchizedek was both a king and a priest. He held both the priesthood and the kingship at the same time. Notice what he said. He was the king of righteousness. He was also the king of Salem. And by the way, that word Salem there comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. He was the king of peace, you see. And and that king, notice he says that in verse 2. He says, to whom Abraham gave a tenth part of all, being first by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. And the scholars tell us that that word Salem there, that place where he was the king, is the precursor to Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem itself, but it's the name that it had at that time. See, Melchizedek, had, he was both priest and king. He carried, clearly had both kingly and priestly authority. Verse 2 there tells us that Abraham recognized that authority by giving him a tenth of the spoils. Abraham, we're told, as we read in verses 4 through 10, he paid tithes to him. And Abraham was the greatest patriarch of the Jewish faith, and yet he paid a tenth of, the of his spoils to Melchizedek. And here's the point he makes here down in, uh, down in verse 9. He said, uh, he said, as I may so say, Levi, who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So here's a man who was great enough that those to whom all the Jews paid tithes that entity paid tithes to Melchizedek. In other words, it would be like if when we pay our taxes, uh, the IRS collects our taxes, whatever percentage that is, and then they take what we give them and they pay a percentage to some greater entity, which they may do that, I don't know, they may do it anyway. I don't know all the details of that, but but it'd probably be an outrage here or some outcry if they did that. But we look at the IRS as the ultimate authority in collecting taxes, okay? But, but in this case, there would be something greater than them. They looked at the Levites as the ultimate authority, the ultimate priests to whom they would pay the tithes under the Mosaic law. But yet here was one greater than those priests that Abraham paid tithes to. And going back to verse 6, notice this. Abraham was blessed by him. But he whose descent is not counted from them... Received tithes of Abraham that is those who he Melchizedek was not of the line of Levi And he blessed him that had the promises and without all contradiction the less is blessed of the better The point he's making there is this It's not the lesser entity the one who's lesser in authority or prestige who blesses the greater You know if I got a if I got a appointment with a governor of the state of Alabama and I walked in there into her office and I said, I just want you to thank me for coming to see you today. Uh, they'd probably run me out. You know, it certainly wouldn't be a good start at the meeting. You know, I just think you ought, to, you, you ought to be thankful that I was willing to come down here to this appointment. See, she's greater than me. I'm thanking her. I'm I'm very grateful to her for taking time out of her schedule and she's blessing me with giving me an appointment, you see. And the same thing happened here. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. It wasn't the other way around. And because the reason he did that is because he was greater than Abraham. Abraham was blessed by him. And, you know, there's something else that makes us understand that Melchizedek was greater. And I've already mentioned it, that. If there's nothing else we understand about, about Melchizedek, if we, we puzzle over who he was and what was going on back there, we know because Scripture says that there was something great about him. You don't have to turn there, but you can turn and read it sometime in Psalm 110 and verse 4. In Psalm 110 and verse 4, David writes, The Lord hath sworn and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, think about that. If you could talk about what Melchizedek did and who he was and how important he was, but we could have an opinion about it. and We might differ on that opinion. But when Scripture points it out, we cannot ignore it. We have to think about it. So something's up with Melchizedek. And and notice in verse 11 what we read here in chapter 7 of Hebrews. He said, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood for under it, the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron. Now here's the point I believe he's making here is that there needed to, there had to be a change in the priesthood in, in, in order for, Uh, Christ to do the work that he was to do. Christ could not be of the Levitical order. We'll come to that in a minute and, and flesh that out a little bit more. But the scripture's clear that Melchizedek's priesthood was greater and that because of that, there was a need for change. He said, if the Levitical priesthood had been perfect, there'd be no need for God to have inspired David to write that he's a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We could have just gone under the Levitical priesthood, but he said there had to be a change, you see. So this priest with all power, this priest with the power of the kingship and the priesthood was something different than what the Jews were used to. But notice also something else about this Melchizedekian priesthood or this man Melchizedek. He was a priest for all people. He was a priest for all people. Now understand what I'm trying to say here not talking about every single descendant of Adam without exception but I'm talking about all kinds of people all nationalities all we might say all kindreds and nations and tongues and people that sound familiar see Melchizedek wasn't a priest just for Israel the Levi was a priest just for Israel the Levitical priests the, the Aaronic priesthood was strictly for the nation of Israel. And the Levitical priesthood also was limited in lineage. It was limited to Levi's family only. You could only be a priest if you descended from Levi, and then only from a certain line of Levi could you be the high priest. You know, genealogy was essential for the Jews. You remember Paul warns Timothy over in 1 Timothy chapter 1 about not getting lost in these endless genealogies and fables and that sort of thing? Verse 3 says this, he was without father, without mother, without descent. That word descent literally means pedigree. Uh, and he goes on to talk about some other things about him here. But notice that he was without pedigree. There is no recorded ancestry for Melchizedek. You know, that's one reason I think it's important that God didn't tell us who he was. He didn't need, we didn't need to know. If we knew who he was, we could say, oh, yeah, there's a pedigree there. no. This Melchizedek was one who didn't have a pedigree in the scriptures. It was not recorded. And he definitely wasn't a descendant of Abraham. He wasn't some of Abraham's children. He might have been an ancestor of Abraham. And he certainly was related to him because uh, through Noah. And, and, but, but he did not have a pedigree. And notice that the Levitical priesthood was also limited in scope. In who it pertained to. As I said already... The Levitical priesthood was for the Jews only. You know, if you came up in the time before Christ came, you really couldn't benefit from the public worship of God if you weren't a Jew. If you were a Gentile, and there's ways you could convert to Judaism. There, there were ways. But generally speaking, if you were out there in the world, you just, you know, the Jews got, had this idea that you were lost. You just didn't have any hope. The only way you could go to heaven was by being a Jew or converting to Judaism. Okay. We read about some people over there that had never heard of the oracles of the Old Testament. They didn't have access to the, to the law and to the scrolls of the law. And people like Rahab the harlot. And she already had faith. People out in the, in the world like Ruth over there. And, and that dear little Moabitess woman you see. But you see, the Levitical priesthood only appertained to the Jews. But here we read of one who was not a Jew. He was not of the lineage of Abraham, and yet he was a priest of the Most High God. I love that Hebrew word there, El Elyon. You know, a lot of those names of God in the Old Testament are sweet to the tongue. And that's one, El Elyon, the Most High God, not one of the gods, and little g-gods, but the God, the Most High God. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com.